The synopsis for The Man Trap. Mm-hmm. Kirk and McCoy find trouble when a stop on planet M113 for the annual medical checkup of two archaeologists reveals strange inconsistencies. Mm. What do you think we're going to find this time? Inconsistent archaeology or inconsistencies in the medical checkup. That remains to be seen. Maybe they found some mosaics of aliens riding dinosaurs. Or <laughs> maybe oh. one archaeologist has no appendix, but the other has two. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're in for a treat this week. I remember really liking this episode, so let's uh, take a look. Be good, be good, be good. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, star date 1513.1. Our position, orbiting planet M113. On board the Enterprise, Mr. Spock, temporarily in command. On the planet, the ruins of an ancient and long-dead civilization. Ship Surgeon McCoy and myself are now beaming down to the planet's surface. Our mission, routine medical examination of archaeologist Robert Crater and his wife Nancy. Routine, but for the fact that Nancy Crater is that one woman in Dr. McCoy's past. So it's Stardate 1513.1. I may wish I hadn't asked this, but what is that? It's not consistent, and it has not been consistent over the history of Star Trek. In the original series, uh, and that's what we're watching now, it was random numbers with a point separating it. So it would be like 2233.5, and the next day would be 2234. Four. Hmm. Depending on what time of day it was, that would be the point. So if it was later in the day, it'd be 0. 0.8, 0. 0.7 or something like that. They did this so they didn't have to keep track of stuff. And so they wouldn't have to be stuck in any particular timeline. They just wanted to be footloose and fancy free. And they change it a bunch of times in, in almost every series. Uh, so it's because the time's going to be different on every planet. That is correct. Time is a strange thing, actually, because as you know, the faster you move the more time slows down for you. Hmm. And I'm guessing they hand wave this with warp, you know, warp speed, not dilating time. Because even if you go like a few thousand miles an hour, time gets wonky. Hmm. And then you already knew this by the 60s? Uh, yeah, well, that's Einstein stuff. <gasps> the ship arrives at M113 to provide supplies and medical exams to Dr. Robert Crater and his wife, Nancy. The ultimate in-house calls. Yeah, that's pretty serious. <laughs> and GPs here say they're overburdened. Try serving the whole universe. Well, they have a whole starship full of people go to a planet just to check up on some Two folks. people. Yeah. The creators, great name, have lived there for five years, <laughs> surveying the planet's ruins, and they are the only known inhabitants. What do you think of that? Fancy that life? No. Why would I like that? There's no <laughs> nightlife. There's no clubs. There's no restaurants or bars. Well, Nancy does hold an open mic every Thursday, but, oh God. you know, Robert's the only one that shows up and he always does Bob Dylan covers, oh. which is, you know, rough the first time around. But try 38 weeks of it. Hey, you can't trick me. They don't even have Thursdays. <laughs> what? They can't have an open mic night every Thursday if they don't even have Thursdays. How do you know they don't have Thursdays? They probably don't have Thursdays. Why wouldn't they have Thursdays? They probably have blue blah blah. Oh, because of the star date. I see. Yes. So open mic divisible by seven. 
Okay. I guess. Kirk, Dr. Leonard McCoy and crewman Darnell beam down to the planet and meet the craters. Mm -hmm. The polystyrene rocks are a whole nother level this time. <laughs> Stonehenge from Spinal Tap springs to mind. <laughs> by scale and by the skill involved in making no, them. Those were real. That was a set. Those were actually giant stone, well, foam um, creations. Yeah. Hmm. But but yeah, it's obviously a, a set. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's not a planet. But fair. I mean, fair play. They can't. Of course not. Yeah. Now, in this show, this is the first time that we meet Dr. McCoy. I love this guy. Mm. And I got to say, the writing is so much better yeah. already. Like in the first scene, you're just, oh, wait, these seem like genuine people with genuine relationships. Mm. That three-dimensionality is something that we didn't really get in either of the pilots, I thought. Yeah, they're a lot more endearing in this one. So we hear that Nancy and McCoy used to date. Yeah. She calls him Plum because <laughs> of his one particularly firm testicle. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that is speculation on your part. Ah, uh, sure. And he said she looks the same as she did 12 years ago. I thought, uh-oh. She yeah. probably looks like sloth, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Telosians are about. You like bringing up sloth a lot on the show. I just realized that. <laughs> Kirk sees Nancy as older with a salt and pepper hairdo. Darnell sees a completely different, younger blonde woman and tells her she looks like a girl he met on Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Hello. Oh, what do you imagine that place is like? I'm guessing it's just like a big 80s style arcade with unlimited tokens oh. and orgies. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Kirk and especially McCoy find this pleasure planet remark offensive, I guess. Mm. And they go, hey, Darnell, you get, get the heck out of here. You're rude. And he's like, oh, but I'm, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. and he leaves. Mm. And Nancy, as the blonde, follows him out. Well, at least he sees her as a blonde. They all see her differently. And that gives us an indication that something strange is going on as a viewer. Obviously, the characters themselves don't know. Kirk looks good in this scene, I thought. Yeah. They've certainly employed a Vaseline lens every time he's on. But, yeah. Yeah. I can see it, you yeah. know? He is definitely much more appealing in this episode than he was in the first one. And he's way more likable. Mm -hmm. Like when McCoy is saying, you know, she hasn't aged a bit in 15 years or whatever he says. And then Kirk, who saw her as an older lady, says, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sure, sure. She looks, mm -hmm. she looks good for her age. And McCoy says, there's not a gray hair on her head. And then Kirk, trying to be diplomatic, says, I think there was a couple of gray hairs on her mm -hmm. head. You know, it's just a really good scene. So uh, Dr. Crater then arrives. And like Nancy, he's got an outfit cobbled together from some old sacks. <laughs> he's pretty grumpy about the intrusion, <laughs> telling Kirk the only things they need are salt tablets and to be left alone. I thought, oh, again. Nancy's looking different to everybody, so we know something fishy's mm. going on. And this guy seems to be in on it. Kirk insists that they must need other supplies because what are they eating and drinking on this arid planet? Um, cucumbers? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Where they get them from? They've, no one's been there for two years or something. But, the, you know, that is a good question. I, I don't know if they actually have replicators in the original series. Food creation devices. Hmm. Uh, and replicators on the next generation, which is about 70 years in the future from what we're watching now, they have basically these things which are like transporters but they just take raw materials and then subatomically build food like beaming in food exactly but if they can do that they can do salt tablets yeah if you can do a cucumber that's true no way you can't do a, a vitamin you're you're absolutely correct on this so i don't 
I don't know. Mm. Good question. So after Carter realizes that McCoy is his wife's ex-boyfriend, he seems to feel a little bit better, uh, <laughs> which is it. kind of strange. During the, the physical... Oh, which already feels really tense due to that medical beeping again. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we hear a woman scream from outside. Uh, Kirk heads outside and finds crewman Darnell dead. Oh. And his face is uh, marked with these circular... Hickeys. Yeah, it kind of like hickeys. Nancy's standing over him. She's distraught. She claims she saw him put a poisonous plant called a Borgia in his mouth, but she was unable to stop him in time. Mm. Well, Kirk's really sweaty-faced at this point. <laughs> Which I realized later was intentional to convey heat and salt loss. Yes. Yeah. Not just the actor's refusal to be powdered. No, no. That's because it's supposed to be a, a hot planet. So I think they kind of spray him up a bit. Yeah. So on the bridge, a bored and somewhat flirty communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura, mm. is attempting to engage Commander Spock. And um, this is the first time that we actually get an introduction to Uhura's character. This is strange because it's kind of like flirtiness going on mm -hmm. or well here uh, let's play the clip Sura, your last subspace log contained an error in the frequencies column mr spock sometimes i think if i hear that word frequency once more i'll cry cry i was just trying to start a conversation well since it is illogical for a communications officer to resent the word frequency i have no answer no, you have an answer. I'm an illogical woman who's beginning to feel too much a part of that communications council. Why don't you tell me I'm an attractive young lady or ask me if I've ever been in love? Tell me how your planet Vulcan looks on a lazy evening when the moon is full. Vulcan has no moon, Miss Uhura. I'm not surprised, Mr. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I'm not surprised. Well, because like moons are romantic and, mm. you know. Doesn't even have one. Doesn't have a moon. so it's Don't like, have firesides. There's no. <laughs> no sunsets. <laughs> <laughs> they have those things, but they don't have a romantic moon. Mm. That's kind of weird because I consider that wildly inappropriate for the workplace. Yeah, she's been a little harassy, isn't she? This whole prejudice that they have for Spock on Star Trek. He doesn't have emotions. Hmm. He's logical. He's Vulcan. That is how they are. And they, they just never let up on him about it. And it totally, it's bunking me now. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? It is. They gotta be allowed to rib each other, though. They're working in such close proximity. Well, I mean, I guess they do it for their benefit because he's humorless. Mm-hmm. He's just logical. So he's like, oh, I understand. That's amusing. You know, that's that's the extent mm, of his comedy yeah. appreciation. So wow, I'm going to st keep sticking up for Spock. He doesn't seem to mind. No, he doesn't. I guess he kind of knows he's superior to everybody else on that oh, ship. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to flirt with him? There's plenty of damaged women into that. Oh, I love her dress. Yeah. Hair and makeup. Yeah. So 60s. Yeah, it is. But of course, they wanted the characters to appear attractive at the time. Sure. I'm torn with these mini dresses, though. What they, do you mean? They had unisex outfits in the pilots. Oh, right. And they looked all right yeah the outfits on the guys do look a lot better in this more form-fitting more yeah. attractive yeah but the girls have all got these super short dresses and, <laughs> and those high boots sheer tights and high boots and yeah, yeah. uh, they look awesome but it's impractical sure objectifying yeah unequal it'd be more equal if the men were in hot pants <laughs> but i'm not sure i fancy that <laughs> or do i <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned this because in The Next Generation, they sort of address this. Mm. Uh, they have some of the background characters in miniskirts and some of them are men. Oh, oh, that does sound familiar. This is the 1960s, so yeah, I, I think it's pretty sexist, but also kind of sexy. And sexy. What's wrong with being sexy? <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's, I think they're very attractive. Mm, yeah. One for the scratching of the brain for me. Yeah. Well, feel disloyal, but then I do like it. <laughs> Kirk and McCoy beam back up and the transporter room reports that there's a dead person in the party, but mm. they don't know who. And Spock is unemotionally responsive about it. And this causes her to get really mad at Spock's like, you could be your friend, Jim Kirk dead. And you're just like, whatever. And it's again ribbing him about not having listen he doesn't have emotions let him be back on the ship mccoy discovers that darnell was not poisoned and in fact there's nothing wrong with him at all apart from being dead and the suck marks <laughs> all over his face um well, if, mccoy says that he goes i look this guy should be up around and walking i have hmm. no understanding of why he's dead god he reflects on how Nancy looked younger to him and wonders if he was seeing her through a romantic haze. Right, because when he saw her again, she looked older. Mm, that's a bit of a quick bubble burst, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I think they maybe did that so that they didn't have to keep sw swapping her out for right. each person. Yeah. <laughs> but then Kirk snaps. How your lost love affects your vision, Doctor, doesn't interest me. I've lost a man. I want to know what killed him. And that shocked me for a bit because, you know, McCoy's just being all friendly and buddy-buddy with him and kind of being a little crushed guy and then mm. kirk is just like hey you snap out of it do your mm, job yeah and it makes sense yeah that's some pressure that yeah. kirk's under yeah kirk reveals they are off schedule and are supposed to be delivering chili peppers to jose <laughs> eh? <laughs> now i think it was the supply run and jose is the guy in charge and he had some chili peppers in with the rest of his supplies <laughs> Or more likely, it's just a big box of chili peppers because Jose runs a space Mexican eatery. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah. How many people are on this ship which is spending its time doing intergalactic house calls to two people at a time and grocery deliveries? Who's funding this bits and bats <laughs> operation, which presumably costs billions of space dollars to run? <laughs> well, uh, just a whole can of worms you're opening up here. <laughs> Um, it's just so bitty. Yeah, well, I agree. It seems kind of silly to have a ship of, I think there's a few hundred people as a crew on this thing. Yeah. So having them just run around and drop off supplies seems kind of weird. Yeah. But maybe it's dangerous and they need to be ready to protect themselves. So they have to have like a, a full military crew. I don't, I'm guessing here. Good grief. And how much money it costs, that I don't understand either. At this point, I don't know how much it costs to make a, a spaceship and how many man hours and how much of it could be automated as well. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of good questions you're bringing up here. I say if you move to a planet that is how many light years away from everything else, you don't get to have your groceries delivered. That's on you. Sort <laughs> it out. <laughs> the cheek of it. Uh, oh, you make a, a fair point. So, so what's in Spock's ear at this point? It looks like a metal wine topper. You're right. It does. It does look like that. But it's a communications device, just an earpiece. Mm. So endearingly, Kirk speaks warmly to McCoy and wants to apologize for his outburst. Yeah. Yeah. This made me like Kirk even more. Man, this is a good episode of Star Trek. It's been a long time since I've watched these. I've recently watched lots of Next Generation, but wow, this episode really brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> so Kirk says, mysteries give me a bellyache. What do mysteries do to you? They give me dry skin. Oh, I guess they really get you in the shins then. <laughs> <laughs> my shins are so dry. Oh, I know. Since McCoy doesn't know what's up, 
Spock notices something. He realizes that Darnell's body has been completely drained of salt. So Spock, Kirk, and two random crewmen, who had better not step outside on their own, no. beam back down to the planet to investigate and to bring the craters back to the ship. Hey, I just want to bring up again. Hmm. Who's the one that noticed that there was a that there was something missing in the in the bodies there? Spock. Oh, okay. They were stumped. Spock got them out. Just bringing that up. <laughs> just bringing that up. Oh, wow. You really? It's like he's your child. <laughs> you want him to be the gem of the week? <laughs> I do. Dr. Crater runs off to find Nancy. I've got salt. Smell it, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> and finds one crewman dead. Yeah. Of course. The other, Green, is also killed by Nancy. Mm. Then Nancy transforms into Green. But how can she do the voice? Uh well, I think it's a mental illusion because everybody saw something different. She could read people's minds. She's telepathic. So she can somehow hear that person in their life's voice in their mind and replicate it for yeah. them. Yes. So like your, she would take your memories of me, for example, mm -hmm. and then she would be able to like read them and watch them and kind of reflect them back at you and trick you into thinking that she would be me. And she would know which were the most recent memories. Yeah. Whew. That's just what she can do. So Kirk and McCoy question Nancy, who looks like green, and then the three beam up to the ship. The creature follows Yeoman Rand. Wearing a ridiculous wig. Was that a wig? <laughs> oh, okay. But she's carrying a tray of food, including a salt shaker. Uh -huh. oh. And she walks into the botanical laboratory where Sula greets her and green by name. Rand loves the plants, especially the moving one. Imagine Spock in there. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it would go crazy. Yeah, it's really funny because they've got this plant that moves and it's so obviously a person's hand. Oh, yeah. Like there's five <laughs> petals on it that are moving and it yeah. just, it's not Oh, it's kind of sweet though. It is sweet. We get some good Sulu time here and I, like many other nerds, had a crush on Yeoman Rand. Oh, right. Yeah. I think it was a, a kind of an I dream of genie thing that she has going on mm. and this show was after that show so i mean she's sort of a, a dime store genie oh I, I hate to say it but you know how did you end up with a brunette there's her yeah genie thing yeah olivia newton john michelle pfeiffer okay, all these crushes that right, you've had but as i get older my crushes change do they oh yeah did they yeah uh, you haven't watched twin peaks yet but Sherilyn fenn who plays audrey horn on that show wow mm. and she is brunette and you quite like that lady on Firefly. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Green says nothing, which Rand finds kind of curious that he's being all cagey. Mm. Eventually, Green exits without harming anybody because he realizes he can't, you know, jump on the salt and it'll blow his cover mm -mm. or her cover or its cover, whatever the, the gender of the creature really is. The hand plant squeals and freaks out when it gets close to him. And then Sulu goes over and strokes it. And talks to it. <laughs> <laughs> so then Green... Bites his knuckle nervously, like Nancy did earlier. Is this how it changes form? A bit like Samantha travels by twitching her nose in Bewitched. Oh, she has to, he has to bite his knuckle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be. So then sexy Uhura appears and the creature turns into her memory of a hot guy. Yeah. They speak in Swahili, which she loves. But then the creature freezes or hypnotizes her and moves to throttle her. Yeah. Saved only by Sulu and Rand entering the corridor, which snaps her out of it. Yeah. I was glad we were keeping her. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's awesome. <laughs> you know, this scene was kind of sexy. Mm. Yeah, Like, it's very much like a 
a seduction that's going on. She's super into him mm. and he wants to eat her salt, mm. but in a very sexy vampire kind of way. And they do call this thing the salt vampire for a reason, I suppose. Oh, do they call it that? Not on the show, but in books and things they do. And it also kind of feels like a incubus or a succubus changing shape to attract the person they desire. Mm. And fun fact, Incubus was also the name of a William Shatner film shot entirely in Esperanto. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> is it watchable? Um, I did watch the whole thing and there is a goat attack that's pretty humorous, but uh, <laughs> no. Oh, so I'm not loving that I've seen two female and no male waiters slash assistants so far. Yeah. Are they yeoman? I guess it's, I mean, but it's the 60s, you know, like... They're women, but yeomen on a ship were usually men. But then again, everyone on a ship was a man. A nautical ship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we should be lucky that there are any women in it anyway. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the 60s. Yeah. And they're, they're much more representative of, of gender equality and the later Star Treks. And at least they've got a black lady who's in a role of power and prestige. Yeah. At that time, that would have been a big deal. It was huge. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg often talks about how when she was a kid, Star Trek was on TV and she saw Uhura Mm. and she ran in and told her mom, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something to the fact of mama, mama, there's a black lady on TV and she's not serving anybody. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that this was a huge cultural thing you know like Mm. representation means a lot to people to see somebody like yourself in a position shows you you've got possibilities Mm. so then mccoy takes a sleeping pill in his room while his old girlfriend as far as he knows nancy strokes his chin (laughs) what kind of carry on is that (laughs) (laughs) well you know to calm him i guess is that a scenario you'd think was a good idea if one of your exes visited us for a bit no, of course not. No. But McCoy, see, here's the thing. McCoy's not married. He's not hitched. Yeah, but she is. I know. Even if he wanted to hang out with her in his room, that's one thing. Him taking a sleeping pill while she's in there with him is a whole nother. <laughs> it's kind of strange. I mean, I guess he's stressed out. Is that why he takes a sleeping pill? I don't remember exactly. But anyway, Sulu and Rand find a dead crewman in a radiation suit on the Enterprise with the same distinctive marks on his face Mm. and kirk now knows whatever killed darnell and sturgeon on the surface has now killed again and it's on board the Mm -hmm. enterprise so kirk and spock beam down to the planet to capture professor crater who is now armed with a laser pistol (laughs) and they sneak around crouching which reminded me of laser quest which we played the other day (laughs) oh my my thighs were aching the next day from all that squatting and creeping yeah i bet you kirk and spock's thighs were i bet they did (laughs) (laughs) Spock finds Green's body, so Kirk calls up to the Enterprise and has Sulu begin the search for Green. Yeah. Crater fires his laser pistol at Kirk and Spock, hitting and partially destroying one of the ancient archaeological structures. Yeah, no, jerk. Kirk and Spock then set their phases for stun. I loved Kirk's zigzag running and <laughs> Spock crawling backwards on his elbows. <laughs> Genuinely loved it. <laughs> I don't know why it was so ridiculous, but we were laughing pretty hard. So much joy. Such a contrast from the last one we saw. Yeah, it was. Spock then distracts Crater and Kirk fires a red bolt and stuns him. Kirk and Spock question Crater about the creature. Yeah, Crater talks all slow and slurry, which Mm. is not something that 
stun does in the future. Mm. When it was doing this now, I really loved it. I thought it was really cool. Mm. Yeah, you would slowly come out of it, presumably. Uh, yeah, but I, I wonder, like, if in Star Trek there were people that would go to parties and stun each other? <laughs> Do you think it'd be pleasurable in any way? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he looked pretty stoned afterwards. Yeah. So maybe it would be, you know, oh, I guess nice. so. Crater finally spills the beans and says Nancy has been dead for a year, maybe mm. two. And he compares the shape-shifting creature to the buffalo of the planet Earth that had once covered many, many states, but no longer exists. Hmm. Uh, the problem facing this M113 creature is that it must have sodium chloride salt. The rest of its race died due to the shortage, and now Nancy, or whatever the thing is, is the last of its kind. Mm, and they gave an interesting comparison of human canine teeth and muscles for chasing to this creature using its abilities to survive. Right. Thought their empathy was impressive, yeah. despite what this creature had done to appreciate that it was only trying to survive. Yeah. But Kirk is, understandably, not up for being charitable. No. So in the Enterprise's briefing room, Kirk holds a conference with department heads and Professor Crater. Right. Awesomely, the creature's part of the meeting <laughs> as McCoy. Yeah, took on McCoy's form. Yeah, because McCoy is still in his room sleeping because of that pill he took earlier. But nobody's struck in his face anymore <laughs> in the meeting. Creator talks about a symbiotic relationship between he and the creature. Creator provided it with salt and the creature gave him companionship. Right. Something Creator craved since the creature murdered his wife, the real Nancy, yeah. for her salt. <sighs> that is sick. And yeah. really sad. Yeah, it's strange how Crater is into this thing. Mm. I mean, it killed his wife and then took her form. And you would think he would be pretty ticked off. But I guess it does have mind powers. Mm. Now, if it gives you what you want, I wonder, did it pick up its clothes off the floor? <laughs> did it do the dishes? <laughs> like that kind of thing? Oh, that'd be great if it did. Can I have one? <laughs> oh. <laughs> he says the creature doesn't want just salt. It needs love. Oh. Hey, now. Woo! So Crater also admits that he can recognize the creature in any guise, but does not want to share that it's sitting right next to him as McCoy. <laughs> Crater says he won't help them capture the creature, so Spock suggests a truth serum, and fake McCoy reluctantly agrees and leaves with Crater and Spock. Suddenly we see the sick bear. Crater's dead, and Spock is hurt. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of green smeared on his head. Yes, Vulcans have green blood. Yep. He evolved from a completely different ocean, he says, with no common ancestors to humans. Different blood. So the monster didn't want or couldn't get his salt. Right. Hmm. Again, I don't know if they probably haven't established yet that he is half human. So, but still, uh, he's half Vulcan. So it's, it's different. Seemed like a decent reason why he hadn't been killed. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Now, despite that, the creature uh, appearing as age appropriate Nancy returns to McCoy's quarters, begging him to defend her from Kirk and Spock. And they're like, they're crazy and they're going to kill me. And he's like, what do you mean kill you? What is it? And then Kirk shows up. And he's got some salt tablets in one hand and a phaser in the other. <laughs> and he Lua. tries to convince the doctor to stay in clear that this is not the real Nancy. This was a good ruse, having McCoy sleep through all the revelations and killing. It was. Yeah. Thinking more now, though, shouldn't there be an alarm or even an intercom message to indicate a shape-shifting, salt-sucking creature is sneaking around <laughs> the ship killing people? Is this not an emergency? Well, wait a minute. Didn't they do an alarm where they made everybody go to their quarters? Did they? Okay, I don't know. Maybe they did do it and McCoy just slept through it. Well, then those sleeping pills are too powerful. <laughs> oh, give me some of those sleeping pills then. That hotel last night, we could hear everything. <laughs> People coming through the door, the door yeah. slamming shut. Yep. Someone with bells. I don't know. Why, why Why would people have bells? <sighs> it didn't make any sense. And the doctor still can't bring himself to, to shoot 
Nancy because she still appears as the woman that he once loved. The creature has Kirk in some sort of, you know, freeze tag power. Freeze tag. Freeze tag. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, seemed a bit like Darth Vader when he gets people by the neck. Oh, yeah, kind of. So Spock arrives, sees Kirk in distress and immediately urges McCoy to shoot, but the doctor refuses. After a brief, unsuccessful struggle to take the phaser away, Spock repeatedly and violently strikes Nancy, who backhand smacks him across the room. Yeah, she is super tough. Like He smacks her and she just stands there like it's nothing. Then the creature turns into a sad-looking monster with long white hair, green skin, Creepy circular mouth yeah, and like a, suckers for fingers. Yeah, like a lamprey or something like that. It's, it's pretty creepy looking. It reaches for Kirk's face and McCoy is finally able to kill it with his phaser. Hmm. So afterwards, the Enterprise departs orbit from M113 and Spock notices a solemn looking Kirk in the captain's chair. Ready to leave orbit, Captain. Something wrong, Captain? I was thinking about the buffalo, Mr. Spock. Warp one, Mr. Sulu. Warp one, sir. Leaving orbit. There was something much more poignant about this than having to kill jewel eyes in the last episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of sad. There's something about that creature. I mean... It's now extinct, and it was just trying to survive. Yeah. Unfortunately, if the creature had just gone, hey, I need salt to survive, would you give me some salt? Yeah. They totally would have done it. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder if the creature wasn't as intelligent as it seemed to be. Mm. Because if it's just reading people's minds, right. it's just feeding back information that it's getting. So it might not actually understand everything that it's doing. It's just doing what it's reading from your mind. So it might not have been a clever enough creature to understand what a person's reaction would be if you said, hey, I'm a salt vampire. I need salt to live. Can you just give me a bunch of salt? And mm-hmm. then they would go, oh, yeah, we can help you. That's not a big deal for us. I suppose if you've seen every one of your kind die, mm-hmm. you get a bit suspicious. Yeah, it could be. could be that too. But then I really think going back to the salt shaker, I mean, yeah, it would have been a bit weird if one of your crewmen just tipped a load of salt in his mouth, but... He could have got away with it. Or just gone, oh, hey, I need I need to borrow that salt and just yeah. grab the salt and leave. Yeah. But see, th- that's what makes me think that the creature isn't actually that intelligent. Mm. It just feeds back what you expect it to say and what you expect it to do. Mm, yeah. Ratings. Entertainment value of this episode. I give it a seven. I give it an eight. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Ideas, concept stuff. Yes, yeah, seven again, I think. Yeah, it's still right. Yeah, seven. Yeah, mm. it's not not quite an eight. There wasn't any too highbrow about it, but it was it was definitely made me. Yeah. It definitely made me think. Mm. And sexiness. I've gone for a seven again. Mm-hmm. I said eight, but minus one for the dresses being too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is Ahura the same character I thought was sexy in the film? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, good right. casting. Yeah, yeah. I give it. A, I think an eight on sexiness. That mm. scene with Ahura and that guy. And when they started speaking Swahili to each other, it was some kind of smoldery going on there. Oh. Yeah. I was like... You're kind of into the vampire stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> Jeez. I wonder if the creature sees people as big salt licks. <laughs> <laughs> Probably does. Well, that was a, a great episode. Next week, we are going to watch an episode called, I believe, Charlie X. I want to thank Chad Pfeiffer for the music. 
and Ranawal for the logo. And uh, Greg for shouting out Rachel Watches Star Trek. He does that so well. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Rachel watches Star Trek.